Well, hey, if you're new to Everlast, uh, my name is Kev. Everyone say your name out loud for me. One, two, three. Nice to meet you. Uh, and uh, I'm the young adult pastor here by God's grace. And let me just say, if you are new, it's tr- we're truly glad that you're here. Thank you for being here. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming out. Tonight, we start our brand new series, as you can see by that little bumper video. Uh, this series is called Mystery Box. And to quote the, I just spit everywhere. To quote the ever-so-wise Mrs. Gump, that is Forrest Gump's mom, uh, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. That's right. Greatest movie of all time. Basically, in this, basically in this series, we're going to be talking about uh, a bunch of different topics in, in the Bible that won't be shared until the night of. And y'all, we're really, truly stoked for what the Lord has in store. Uh, tonight, we're going to be talking about this. Y'all ready? Enjoying Jesus. We're going to be talking about enjoying Jesus. And with that being said, let's get started. Uh, Let's turn to Psalm 63, verses 1 through 5. Psalm 63, verses 1 through 5. When you're there, say, I'm there. (laughs) Psalm 63, verses 1 through 5. Hey, way to be confident. If you're not there yet, I'm going to read it anyway. Here we go. (laughs) All right, just five verses. Here it goes. It's a Psalm of David. David wrote this. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So, I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So, I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips let's pray one more time together ask God to bless this his word heavenly father thank you for your presence thank you so much uh, for being with us even as we sing singing about like what your mercy did for us and God we actually sang this psalm 63 and uh, Lord we, we we really do want nothing else but you help us in that God, I pray that as we continue in our worship, worship right isn't just when we sing. (laughs) Lord, as we open your word, Lord, help us to to listen to you, to be attentive and receptive to what you have for us. God, we love you. We We just glorify your name. We bow before your glory. God, I consecrate this time under just the headship and authority of your kingdom. You are God. And God alone. And it's so very clear that we're not. So Lord, help us. Everlast, I encourage you, where you're you're at right now, pray this prayer. Say, God, speak to me tonight. And now I encourage you, pray that same prayer for those on your left and right. Pray this for them. God, speak to them tonight. 
And lastly, I just pray that, uh, or I ask that you would pray for me, uh, that God would use me to help, to, you know, for things, to, to make things helpful and clear for you tonight. Well, Father, we love you. Oh, we need you so bad. Help us all, every single person, Lord, myself included, all of us, to leave here tonight all the more in love with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, when I met my wife... I was 255 pounds, 255 pounds. Six months later, six months later, I asked her to marry me. When you know, you know. When I asked her to marry me, six months later, I was 198 pounds. What happened, you ask? Well, it's simple. If you're out of shape, meeting and then pursuing a crazy, beautiful girl, will certainly help expediting you getting in shape. It's, it's quite simple. Then we got married, and somehow I gained 30 pounds back. I'm, I'm sorry, not, yeah, I shouldn't say somehow. It was, uh, we basically like hibernated for six months, and I like, I, I ate pizza, what seemed to be like for every meal. And uh, that plus no exercise, and voila, I gained most of my weight back. Um, Tina and I didn't eat healthy at all. Y'all, we didn't eat healthy in the slightest bit. As a matter of fact, I remember distinctly on quite a few occasions, uh, Tina's dinner would be Cheetos, the puffs, obviously, uh, uh, salsa, and chocolate milk. (laughs) She would have Cheetos, salsa, and down it with some chocolate milk. While Tina didn't gain weight like me, both of our bodies were like, help, help me, help. They were just, just crying out for nutrition, proper nutrition. But so, okay, so you, you, you fast forward seven years later, and, uh, and this is most definitely not, uh, it's not the norm for both of us. That's not the normal like at all. Um, uh, well, f- honestly, for many reasons. Tina uh, has now become quite the health guru and, and has completely changed her diet. She ta- honestly, she takes really good care of herself. I'm super proud of my wife. She takes really great care of herself, and it has most definitely influenced me to do the same. And uh, one thing, though, all right, one thing that no amount of money could ever tempt me to consume is Tina's daily protein shake. Ever, ever, like ever. Uh, the, the smell, y'all, is horrid. It's horrid. It's rank. It's, it's, it's yeah, it's awful. It, it, it's honestly, I feel like it's been poured into, uh, and fil- poured into and filtered through like a junior high boy's dirty gym sock. Like it's, it is, uh, and I'm not exaggerating, man. It's, it's awful. And you know, how they, you know how they say, never say never? Guess what? Look at my eyeballs. I will never drink that shake, ever, ever. We can all agree, though, right, that, uh, that tasting something, good or bad, is an experience, right? It's an experience. David wrote in Psalm 34, verse 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. The verb taste, which is in, uh, which in the Old Testament, y'all, is uh, everlasting. It's commonly used in the literal sense, like, a me- uh, uh, you know, is a metaphor for personal experience. 
Uh, David is literally saying that Jesus isn't just someone who we are to theologically study. He is also meant to be someone who we uh, experientially enjoy. All right? I'm going to say it again. Leave it on the screen if you don't mind, Jenna. Jesus isn't just someone who we are to theologically study. He is also meant to be someone who we experientially enjoy. So if Jesus is meant to be enjoyed, this begs the question. Begs the question. Are you enjoying Jesus? I'll let that sit for a second. Are you enjoying Jesus? And let me start off by saying this, y'all. If you haven't, if you haven't trusted Jesus to save you, that has to be where you begin. That has to be where you begin. You can't enjoy something until you experience that something. Does that make sense? Everlast, I've said it before and I'll say it again. There is a massive, a massive difference between just knowing about Jesus and actually knowing him. It's a big difference. Huge difference. If you haven't trusted Jesus to save you yet, let me implore you to do so. Let me implore you to do so. And you'll have a chance at the end of the night. I know for me, Jesus is the best thing that's ever happened to me. The best thing that's ever happened to me. It was by his grace and through my faith that I got saved. I've enjoyed him uh, for, for many years now. And I can testify that my life is better with him than without him. Can I get a witness? Amen. So... Enjoying Jesus is something that, honestly, my wife, Tina, and I, we talk about and pray about often, and we encourage you to do the same. If you really think about it, enjoying Jesus has everything to do with your purpose for living. It really does all come back to this. So tonight, we're simply just going to talk about two things, two, keeping it super simple, two things that will show you how to enjoy Jesus, all right? One, you remain close to Jesus. Two, be content in Jesus. When it, comes to, when it comes to enjoying Jesus, though, here's the thing. I would say this. We are so prone, y'all, we are so prone to get to work. What do you mean, Kev? Well, we do all these things for God, but I feel, like, I feel like, honestly, we miss out on the most important part. The most important part of being a Christian isn't doing for God, it's being with God. Which leads us to our, the, our first way of enjoying Jesus. One, remain close to Jesus. Remain close to Jesus. So in order to remain close to something, what do you first have to do? You have to actually get close to it. You have to draw near to it, right? Hebrews 10, 19 through 22, the writer of Hebrews says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us 
draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And as you see specifically in verse 22, what it, what it say, right? Let us draw near with a true heart. Other translations say um, a, a sincere heart, a sincere heart. Back in, go back a couple of chapters in Hebrews uh, 7, verse 19, it says, for the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Then later, chapter 11, verse 6 says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would, what? Draw near. I need y'all's help. Whoever would, what? To God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So it's pretty clear, right? I think it's pretty evident that uh, uh, the, the great aim of the writer of Hebrews is that we what? Draw near, that we get near God, that we have fellowship with him. We have fellowship with him, that we not settle for a Christian life at a distance from God. That God not be a distant thought, but a near and present reality. Amen? So what is drawing near to God? What is that? Well, first I'll tell you what it's not. This drawing near everlast is not primarily a physical act. It's not necessarily going to church building or coming here to everlast or walking to an altar at the front. Drawing near to God is an invisible act of the heart. You can do it while standing absolutely still, while in a hospital bed, or while sitting at your work chair, or in a pew listening to a sermon, right? Okay, so check this out. Drawing near is not moving from one place to another. It is a directing of the heart into the presence of God. Drawing near is not moving from one place to another. It is a directing of the heart into the presence of God. James chapter 4 verse 8 says, draw near to God... And he will, what? Draw near to you. If you are to remain close to God, James is saying, draw near to God. So, y'all, it's so important. <laughs> we have to cultivate time. Do y'all have margin in your life for this? Y'all, it takes conscious effort. It was Francis Chan who said this. He said, we never grow closer to God when we just live life. It takes deliberate pursuit and attentiveness. Y'all, he's 100% correct. It's important that you don't reverse it, though. Y'all, it's incredibly important that you don't reverse this verse that, uh, that James says. Don't turn it upside down. What James didn't say is, God, draw near to me, and I'll draw near to you. No. That's something that I and all of us ultimately get out of whack at times, y'all but it's incorrect. We draw near to God, he draws near to us. That's how it works. Can I tell you something, man? You've got nothing, nothing better to do. Nothing at all. You've got nothing better to do than to draw near to God. You can't name one thing better than that. You've got nothing better to do than to draw near to God. The beauty of this is that, you know, when we draw near, 
we can absolutely count on the inerrant truth and fact that God will draw near. Sometimes, though, we get it way wrong. We get it way wrong. We're all so prone to think that God's drawing near is like conditional. Like God will draw near after we have drawn near to, to him for like X amount of time. Like, like we're in timeout and he won't draw near to us until we have felt bad enough for our sin or something like that. Or the opposite, like he will be more inclined to draw near because of how much I haven't sinned. Or just practically speaking, if I do these things, aka read my Bible for three hours, light a candle, and pray for f- five more hours, then, then, you know, then God will draw near. Mm-mm. No, no, no. That's missing the entire point of what drawing near is. You see, Everlast, listen and listen close. God has always been and will always be out for your heart not what you do. Everlast, Jesus didn't die so you can simply get to work for him. He finished the work himself and died so you can simply be with him. The spiritual disciplines, Everlast, of praying and reading your Bible, going to church, fellowshipping with fellow believers, etc., they, they don't earn God's presence and love. They don't. No, they, they, they help you enjoy God's presence and love. And, and, and they're the overflow of a heart that has been positioned, that has positioned itself and directed its affection toward God. Let me put it this way. Opening your heart is the only criteria for God's presence to draw near. It's always tied to the heart. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with your, with, I'm sorry, with all your what? heart. You'll have to know this. Our right standing, our right standing with God has nothing to do with what we do. I have known and followed Jesus for quite some time now, and I, I have repeat, I, I have had to like repeatedly preach this to, to myself, which leads me to this. You can't live for God until you know how to live because of God. You can't live for God until you know how to live because of God. Living because of God means what we do flows from being with Jesus. Sometimes I feel like even in sharing what I just shared, it can kind of seem like a riddle. Or you're like, okay, live for God and because, but it's for, and you know. I, I'm really praying, I've been, we've been praying, my wife's been praying, we've been praying as a, a leadership and volunteer for tonight, praying that the Holy Spirit would really massage this deep into not just your head, but your heart. You don't understand this. You can't live for God until you know how to live because of him. Think about what Jesus did for us. Think about it. He accomplished what he, he accomplished what we couldn't accomplish. He paid for what we could never afford. Sin separate us from God, so he built a bridge, i.e. the cross, so that we can have access to God. He was betrayed by those closest to him. He was brutally m- murdered. As a matter of fact, Isaiah 52, 14 
says that his appearance was so disfigured that he did not look like a man. And his form did not resemble a human being. He took on the sins of the entire human race. And because God the Father is holy and we're not, Jesus then was the perfect sacrifice, meaning he lived his entire life on earth without sin. That's, that's crazy. I can't calculate that. So that means he lived a perfect life in place of our imperfect lives. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our witnesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Every way we've been tempted, tempted every without sin? Y'all, God, let me say this, God loves justice, and his righteous anger and wrath towards sin was taken out on his own son. The Bible calls this propitiation. That's found in 1 John uh, chapter 2. It's a great chapter that you can read. Meaning, so this is what that means. Jesus satisfied, he quenched all of God's anger. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one can get to the Father except through me. Why in the world did Jesus do this? Why? Did, 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 did we deserve it? I mean, like, not at all. Not at all. But that's what the definition of grace is. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. Why did he do this? Because, because he, he doesn't conditionally love you, Everlast. He doesn't conditionally love you. No, he, he unconditionally loves every single one of you. Every single one of you. Can I just, yeah. I don't know when the last time someone told you this. But man, Jesus loves you. He loves you so much. He loves every single one of you. He loves you. He loves you so much. No matter how messed up you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you haven't done, no matter where you've been, he loves you. He did it all out of love. 1 Timothy 1.15. <laughs> Man, I love this verse. Y'all need to memorize this bad boy. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. The good news, like that good news right there, should always and forever wake up our selfish punk ways. That good news should always and forever get us like seriously stoked. That good news should always and forever cause us to what? Draw near. We draw near to God to therefore remain close to God. There's one thing though that I believe that takes, away, takes us away from remaining close to God. You know what that is? It starts with a B and ends with izziness. Busyness, that's right. I, man, I really believe that this is something that not only takes us away from drawing near to God, but takes us definitely away from remaining close to God. We never feel like we have enough time to accomplish anything we want or need to do. The clock keeps ticking, though. Amid all that's on our plate, we can somehow lose touch with what's really important. 
In fact, I would say busyness makes the urgent take over the important. Busyness makes the urgent take over the important. And here's the thing, y'all. Satan absolutely wants to keep you running in circles. Running in circles. It's simple, y'all. If he can distract us, he can minimize our time with God. So yes, Satan may be the prince of darkness, but I would also say he's the, he's the duke of distraction. I, I, as, as Christians, we cannot allow ourselves to be swept away in the undercurrent of our cultural stopwatch of this world because it will inevitably affect the most important thing, which is our relationship with our most high. And it definitely affects us remaining close to him. Did y'all know that even, like, even Jesus himself, fully God, fully man, Himself, y'all, in his earthly ministry, he himself escaped the busyness of crowds occasionally to renew his strength, drawing near to God, to remain close to God. I love this verse. It's on the screen. Mark 6, 31 says, then because so many people were coming and going that they did not have a chance to eat, he said to his disciples, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. It's honestly, I... Y'all, it's difficult, if not impossible, for us to hear God's still and quiet voice over the roar of our 21st century busyness. So, like Jesus, we, y'all, we must take time. We must take time to draw near and to remain close to our Lord. A great example of the consequences of busyness is showcased in Luke 10, 38-42. As Jesus and his disciples were on the way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened up her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him, Jesus, and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. If we're honest, most of us resemble Martha and not Mary, right? We rush around doing, quote-unquote, what needs to be done while missing the glimpses of Jesus all around us. Everlast, listen to me real close. Slow down. Slow down. As difficult as it is, and as contrary to our culture, as it is, we must intentionally make the effort to slow down and to model Mary because as Jesus said himself, Mary chose what was better and it wasn't taken away from her. We must be absolutely, positively, no doubt about it, intentional about making time to remain close to Jesus. Y'all honestly, let the phone ring like errands can be done later. And honestly, (laughs) 
um, social media can most undeniably use a break. Those things are not eternal. Jesus is. It's quite simple, honestly. Just like a campfire in, in winter, the closer you stay to the fire, the warmer you are. The second you start to walk away, the colder you get. Two, be content in Jesus. Be content in Jesus. This is how we enjoy Jesus. Psalm 23, one th- uh, Psalm 23, just verse 1, not 1 through 3, just 1. <laughs> David said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This can otherwise be translated as, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. I lack nothing. Here's the thing, though, we want a lot. Think about it. I've said it here before, and I'll say it again. We are a group of incessant wanters. We really are. You want to not be single. You want to be married. You want kids. You want the newest iPhone. You want to be right. You want to be in shape. You want to have more money. You want to not have health. You want to not have health issues. You want to not have syndromes. You want to not have deficiencies. You 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 want your savings account to not get too low. You want the perfect house. You want you want you want you want. You know what I think? I, I honestly think that always wanting is like a direct link to apathy. Uh, the definition of apathy is this, actually. It's, it's lack of interest or enthusiasm. Lack of interest or enthusiasm. The culture and society that we live in today, y'all, is a breeding ground for always wanting something else, always wanting something new, always w- wanting more. We're so conditioned. We just scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll. I could have said that a lot longer and been... <laughs> And been annoying, and you're like, dude, when, when are you gonna stop saying that? And I just, that's what we do, you know. Uh, that that should that should affect us, though. Um, it should. We're always wanting more. If if we want, 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 we are basically bottle feeding apathy, though. And apathy is cancerous to our contentment. It's cancerous in our overall enjoyment of Jesus. How did David counteract apathy? Like, like, what brought David to the point of saying that he doesn't want? Like, what kind of sentence is that? Right? If you really think about it, that's a crazy statement. That he doesn't want? Well, David, he knew that God was meant to be, check it out, three E words. E, right? Has an echo. Three E words. God knew that I'm sorry, David knew that God was meant to be engaged, God was meant to be encountered, and God was meant to be experienced. Engaged, encountered, and experienced. I want to go back to what we first read tonight. I think it's on the screen for you. Psalm 63, 1 through 5. Let's read it again in this context. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there's no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary beholding your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you. As long as I live in your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Everlast, if we've truly tasted and seen that the Lord is good, then by enjoying Jesus, you are content. He's enough. Okay, so let me just say this. 
is it wrong to want? Like, absolutely not. It's not like, you know, don't hear what I'm not saying. Most of you know my wife, uh, I mean, my wife's story. Like, like we've, been on, we've been battling infertility. We had a miscarriage in 2017. And um, man, like, it's just, it's been hard. We, we, we genuinely, we, we, wow, we genuinely want to have kids. Like, I would argue we're like the world's greatest aunt and uncle. Like, you can't, Uncle Kevin, Aunt Chrissy, that's what she's called, um, you, you can't, like, you can't hold a candle to our uncle-ism and aunt-ism, you know, like, like, it's, but, 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 like, we, we want to have kids, so to say that Jesus is all that we need, and all that we are, um, and, and that we're content, is it, something that we, um, we constantly have to bring before him. We constantly have to bring before him. We have to constantly preach to our own hearts that Jesus is better, Jesus is enough. But we can make an idol out of pretty much anything. Is it wrong to want? Again, absolutely not. It's just vitally important that we don't let our wants supersede the supremacy of Christ in our hearts. Our contentment is always being fought for on the turf of our hearts. To enjoy Jesus, we have to see that contentment only and truly flows from him, not the world, not the world. 1 John 2, 15 through 17 not of the things of this world. Check this out. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and pride of life is not from the Father, but it is uh, from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides how long? Forever. So let me just reiterate. Us wanting kids isn't wrong. It's not wrong. And wanting a kid, you could say it's not a thing of the world. Like, it's a desire that's on our heart that we believe God's placed us, that God, God has placed that there in us. So just reiterating, it's not wrong to want those things, but those things, again, can't supersede the supremacy of God in our hearts. Everlasting, will you be ruled by love for God or some other lover? Will you be, will you be ruled by love for God or some other lover? Because in answering that question, you quickly see that there's a problem, y'all. The problem is that there's still a war of love in our hearts. We often lose our way, y'all. We're, we're, we're prone to find contentment in pretty much anything other than Jesus, y'all. Love of the world and the things that are in the world, still, y'all, they hijack our heart's affection. Unfortunately, we forget God and tell ourselves that we must have fill in the blank. Love for God competes in our hearts with love of self. Love for God battles with our, uh, with our craving for, for the love of others. Love for God gets easily replaced with, with material things and physical experiences that can steal our affections and our motivations. So yes, it is most def- there's most definitely a war going on. 1 Peter 2.11 says this, Abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. And I wish what I'm about to say isn't true about me. I really wish this. But what does wishing do? It does nothing. Just a phrase. I wish it wasn't true about me, but it is. Sometimes I want comfort too much. And because of that, I become an irritable and grumbling man because I'm not getting what I think I deserve. Sometimes I want to be right too much and I become aggressive and argumentative. 
Sometimes I'm passive aggressive instead of just simply being straightforward. Sometimes I want the respect and attention and affirmation of others too much. And because I do, I am way too controlled by their opinions and what they think of me. Instead of knowing my identity in Christ. Sometimes I set my heart on a particular thing too much. And I feel deprived um, until I'm able to find a way to get it. Sometimes I want control too much and I become more demanding than serving. Sometimes I esteem personal pleasure too much and I invest far too much time and money in pursuit of it. Now, the things that we desire or want, are they, are they evil in and of themselves? Again, no. What we have to do is keep these things in check and at bay. Don't let these things have a grip on you. You need to have a grip on them. A pastor and author, Paul David Tripp, we're reading one of his books in our life group right now called Do You Believe? An excellent, an excellent read. God's using it in a mighty way. Um, uh, I didn't pull this from, uh, from that book per se, but Paul David Tripp, author, uh, uh, wrote this. He said it best when he said, a desire for a good thing becomes a bad thing when the desire becomes a ruling thing. When good things become controlling, they, com they command the affection of our hearts. And then they shape our words and our behavior. When this happens, Everlast, they take the place in our hearts that only God should have. Our true contentment is in him. Um, it was also Paul David Tripp who said this, we are always placing the love of our hearts on something. And it is important to remember that there are only two places where we can invest that life-shaping love on the creator or the creation. It's not wrong to love God's glorious creation, but it is a spiritual disaster to be ruled by that love. And man, oh man, y'all, there's a lot, a whole lot of examples uh, of creation, or rather other lovers, trying to win our affection and gain more time, and, and to gain more time from our life and uh, the overall uh, turf of our hearts. Listen, God created things for us to enjoy, but never, never, <laughs> never to take the place of a relationship with him. This begs a few questions. They're going to be on the screen, and I'm just going to read through them slowly. And it's, my, it's been my prayer as we're you know, about to read these questions uh, that you would let the Holy Spirit minister to your heart. You wouldn't get defensive. You wouldn't try to think yourself better than or anything like that. You would humbly listen. What good thing are you right now being tempted to make or are actually making ultimate over God? Just think about it for a sec. Not even just think about it. In this moment, you can pray. You can pray right now to God. Ask him to reveal this. Everlast, what dominates your life? Love for creation or love for God? What are you rationalizing away, but in reality has mastery over you? Are you willing to give up something that steals your enjoyment of Jesus? Are you? Are you truly content in Jesus?
the things that we make ultimate over God and rationalize are endless. But I tell you what, tonight would be a great, great time to turn away from the lying lover of sin and self and to turn to the one who will completely and utterly satisfy you. Again, Jesus is where true contentment is found. One of me and my wife's favorite artists, his name is Jonathan Riddle. He wrote a song in the course. He puts it simply and plainly. He says, what I lack, you are full of. Where I'm broken, you are whole. What I'm doubting, you are sure of. So I'll trust the lover, the lover of my soul. Remember, you can't live for God until you know how to live because of God. And living because of God means that, we, that what we do flows from enjoying Jesus. Because of God, to, because God, because God is, listen, forgiving us, helping us, keeping us, sustaining us, fighting for us, healing us, providing for us, transforming us, and ultimately loving us, we then live life out of the overflow of his love, grace, and goodness. And everlast, before we wrap up, I just wanted to mention just two, a couple of very honorable mentions. You ready for these honorable mentions? Enjoying Jesus increases our love for him. Did you know that in the uh, recent Kansas City Chiefs versus New York Jets game on October 1st, it was the most viewed Sunday football game since the Super Bowl? According to NBC Sports, approximately 27 million viewers tuned into the game. How, you ask? Well, she goes by the name T. Swift. T-Swift. Because she was in attendance at the game enjoying watching her new boyfriend, Travis Kelsey, play, the audience peaked at 29.4 million viewers during the second quarter of the game. There were significant demographic increases, particularly among girls. Aged 12 to 17, which raised 53%. Women aged 18 to 24, which raised 24%. And women older than 35, which raised 34%. That's crazy, right? Bunch of girls watching football at weekends. Awesome. Wow. <laughs> I, I didn't watch it. Um, you know how the phrase goes, the proof is in the pudding? End of the day, when you enjoy something, your love for that something increases. Think about it. When you walk outside, I was walking out today. I parked over there. I had to pull my truck up to the, this back parking lot. And I was just like, oh, my gosh. I was like, no, I looked at, I looked at Pikes Peak, I looked at mountains, and it happens often because we live in a freaking amazing, beautifully place, beautiful place. And I was like, man didn't make that. No man made that big thing. Name someone who did. No, no, no man, you, can't, you just look at it and like, what? It's huge. And, 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 and so like, you know, when you, when you see the majesty of God's creation, when you, in particular, like when you hear the sound of a sizzling steak, oh, 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 oh. When, you, when, you, when you get married, when you get married, when, when, you, when your paycheck got bumped, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and you get a raise. Well, check this out. When your child, any parents are there, when your child uh, takes their first steps, right? Like, et cetera, et cetera. All these things we enjoy are meant to point us to the goodness of God, which therefore increases our love for God. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Y'all, it isn't rocket science. When I spend time with my amazing wife, 
enjoying her for who she is, my love for her increases. And this applies to any relationship you have, let alone your, relationship, your ultimate relationship with God. And here's a second honorable mention. Let me say this. Enjoying Jesus um, actually helps us fight sin. It helps us fight sin. Simply put, the more you enjoy Jesus, the more you don't enjoy sin. How do you fight against impatience? Enjoy Jesus. How do you fight against homosexuality or same-gender attractiveness, attraction? How do you fight against homosexuality? Enjoy Jesus. How do you fight against self-righteousness? Enjoy Jesus. How do you fight against pornography? Enjoy Jesus. How do you fight against jealousy? You guessed it. Enjoy Jesus. How do you fight against all idolatry? Enjoy Jesus. Everlast, again, Jesus didn't die so you can simply get to work for him. No, 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 no. He finished the work himself and died so you can simply be with him. Listen close. We draw near to him in order to remain close to him, in order to be content in him, to overall enjoy him. You can't live for God until you learn how to live because of God. Amen? Let's pray.